Welcome to episode 330 of On The Schmooze. Let's do this. Welcome to On The Schmooze, the podcast that highlights talented people from different fields, explores how they built strong networks, and overcame challenges on their way to becoming successful leaders. Now here's your host, Robbie Samuels. Did you know you could hang out with me every single Friday? And it's just $25 a month. I host the No More Bad Zoom virtual happy hour for free on the first Friday of every month at 5 p.m. Eastern. And all the other Fridays, you can join me for a mastermind with other amazing entrepreneurs through my content and connection club. So if it feels kind of lonely to be a business owner, I get it. If you're getting ideas for next steps for your business and you want to talk to other folks about it who've been there or also trying to get there, this is a great place to do that. We've got networking, growing together, sharing our wins. We meet from 5 to 6.30 p.m. Eastern and sometimes even a little later every single Friday. So if you're able to meet that time zone and it works for your schedule, I really hope you can do this because we have a lot of fun. And half the proceeds, so half of the $25 a month, gets donated to Feeding America, which is an amazing organization fighting food insecurity. So check it out. You can go to contentandconnectionclub.com to get all the details. And if you have any questions, just reach out, shoot me an email, Robbie at robbysamuels.com. Now, onto this week's interview. Today's guest is healing workplaces through play and positive psychology. He believes fully embracing your nerdy genius gives you the power to make a difference and change lives. We already have many of the answers we seek, and by simply unleashing our inner child, we can find our purpose and in turn, help to create a better world. He helps teams build psychological safety and assist individuals in addressing their most significant challenges by embracing a play-oriented approach to work. He was selected by Bamboo HR and Engagedly as one of the top 100 HR influencers and has been featured in the New York Times, Mashable, Upworthy, HuffPost, Shondaland, and Wired. He has worked with Google, Microsoft, Southwest Airlines, Adobe, the NFL, Amazon, and even Facebook, helping their staff infuse more play into their daily lives. As he says, work sucks, but it doesn't have to. Please join me welcoming. Jeff Harry. All right, let's go. I'm excited about this. Oh my gosh, Robbie. thank let's you so this. much for joining us from your place in Oakland. Thrilled to have you here. As you know, this is a show about building strong networks, but the context is leadership. So tell me, how do you define leadership? And when did you realize you had the skills to lead? I define leadership as the gsd I don't know if you've ever heard of the, the get stuff done person, but I remember when I would be part of campaigns and we go to other states to find out, all right, you know, we want to work in this state. And we'd walk into a campaign office and you wouldn't look, you wouldn't ask who's like in charge of the office. You would just look. And after you just spent maybe less than three minutes, you know who's in charge because that is the person everyone is going to, right? The leader is the person that everyone gets gravitates towards, right? They, they may not have the title, but they're someone that you actually want to follow. 
I love that visual. I've been in many a campaign room and you're right. Like I'm done with this project. What do I do next? Or I can't quite figure out how to do this project. Can you help me figure it out? Or I got a phone call. I'm not sure who to route it to, right? Like there's always somebody. There's the one, there's the one, right? Yeah. And there's some magic also to them, right? You just know, you feel the energy and they also just, they may not always have the answers. And and a lot of times they're very humble um, or at least the leaders that I appreciate. Um, but what I find about them is, is they're the ones that make you feel seen and appreciated and heard. And Mm -hmm. that's rare to do. Yeah. And usually not the person with the title. Yes. Almost always not the person with the title. (laughs) Almost always. Right. So when did you first start to realize you had these, start to acquire these kinds of skills? I don't know. I used to, uh, play and make up games in my basement. Um, because I didn't want to be cool. Like being cool was so exhausting in my teenage years. And I was like, this is not even fun. I don't even enjoy these parties. So I just started hanging out in my basement and making up games. And my friends would come to hang out and play games, right? And then after a while, it was just like, I realized I was making up all these games in my basement. And a lot of people wanted to hang out and do that. And what's ironic is the way in which I played as a kid and even as a teenager I'm making up games now for companies that that are all about connection and building a certain level of psychological safety. Because at the end of the day, you just don't want to feel judged. You know, you want to feel like you belong. And those are the spaces that I wanted to create when I was a teenager and when I was a kid. And I want to create them now. This is so interesting. The evolution of who you were and how you just sort of turn that into a business. Because I get the being drawn as a kid to the kid on the block who always has a plan, you know all right, today we're going to play kickball today. You know, that kind of thing. Like, yeah, like like say, oh, we're all going to the park. We're all going to ride our bikes. There's always somebody who sort of naturally steps up to like organize the local neighborhood. But you were doing it where you were actually like attracting people in to do things that maybe we hadn't never done. No, never done. Which is different than like, all right, let's all ride our bikes to the creek, which is like, we all know how to ride our bikes. We all know where the creek is. It's just a matter of deciding to all go together. You were like pulling them out of their comfort of the everyday, even back then, and giving them a different experience. I'm it's like, how young was this starting? Like, give me, give me some some stuff. I mean, this started when I was like six, seven. You know, um, you know, I have a five and seven year old right now. So I'm like literally, I'm like, okay, they're picturing them, they're gonna bring them to the basement and they're gonna start playing them games. Yeah, they're just and and I, and it and it kept going like there was I mean I won't go into the whole, I have a whole story about how like I was trying to be cool for an entire year in seventh grade um, and it was just so tiring um, and I had been playing in fifth and sixth grade and then all of a sudden you have to be cool when you're in seventh and eighth grade um, and I was like and I tried I like put you know moose in my hair you know I tried to have bangs and oh it was just it was just a mess um, but. At some point, I got so tired of it, um, and I think the reason why I started doing it was because I think I felt the most unseen when I was in seventh and eighth grade, and the only thing that brought me joy was to play and to see other people playing, and I just made up the games for myself, and then people just happened to join me. You know, those are actually even the best ways in which I let people know I'm going to, I'm like, I'm doing this thing. And if you want to join me, then go ahead. And maybe just like leadership, right? 
you know, if you're starting a movement, you're trying to start some like new organization or something like that. You're like, I'm doing this cool thing. Who's down? Right. But if no one joins me, I'm going to do it anyway. And that's kind of how it evolved. What kind of kid were you in the playground early, like elementary school? Like, were you kind of quiet or do you have your own circle of friends? Were you? I was very nerdy. Um, was a brown kid just running around and I just wanted to be near the action, whatever exciting thing was happening. Almost like even when I go to the dance floor now and I'm like, who's, who's the most fully present? I want to be by that, you know? And, um, and yeah, so either I was about starting the party or if no one else was starting the games, then I would start the games. But if not, then I just wanted to be around it. Yeah. Did you seek out any kind of formal leadership, uh, run any student clubs, run for student office? Did anything I like seek that? a formal leadership? I mean, not at first, not really. Not until like maybe after I graduated college. I think I, I ran our events in like our dorm or something like that. Well, no, no. It was like the vice president of the Filipino club and the Caribbean club. And I did a bunch of things, but it was, but Oh, you know what I did? I started a leftist magazine in uh, my <laughs> in my college. I totally forgot that. Me and a bunch of people started this magazine because we wanted to push, you know, a different uh, uh, narrative um, on the college campus because we didn't feel as if um, it was progressive enough. And we were at Tufts University, and at the time, like we were printing off of their printers, and we'd print like five hundred copies and pass them around. Um, they had to shut down the whole copy thing because of us. Uh, very proud about that. Um, but yes, um, I think more so I realized I always the person that wanted to cause mischief. You know, I wanted to create mischief, but I wanted to create mischief in order to have more belonging. Because I remember once, even in college, we were protesting them building like another wing of something rather than giving money to, for more scholarships or more students of color. Or just more like, you know, under, you know, underserved populations were allowed to come in, right? Um, so all of my stuff was about, and what I say now, right, play, I, I, I heal workplaces through play. It's the same idea of like, how do I create more belonging and more safety and more compassion and more empathy through this play-oriented approach? I'm really curious to go back to, with that context in mind, the, the idea of belonging and inclusion through play. Back to your seventh and eighth grade self, who was yeah. feeling like very unseen and yeah. you needed to like act a certain way to be a certain way cool. And it wasn't comfortable. And by the way, that's kind of describes every seventh and eighth graders experience. Like yeah. we're all trying to be something that we're not quite yet. How did you like use play in that moment to attract the people who like were down with you? You know, or, whereas other people probably saw this as like childish or. Yeah, you know, or just like they were trying to remove themselves from from this because even today we have adults who are like very uncomfortable with the idea of play. Yeah, how did I how did I attract them? I don't know if I the goal was to attract them. Frankly, I think I just would talk about what I was doing, and I was just really excited about it, and I didn't really care if other people joined because I was so fully present. You know, when you're like so fully present that other people want to be around that, that was kind of the deal, right? And that's always been kind of the deal with me. Rather than being like, join me, or you got to join this club, or you got to join this thing. Like, I never felt like I had to sell it. 
right? I, I would be like, yeah, I'm playing, you know, soccer in my basement, or we're making up this new basketball game in my basement, or we're doing, you know, I don't know, tech mobile tournaments in my basement. You want to come, you know, I'm down, you know, but oh, you're busy. You're going to a, like one of those parties or oh, I'll enjoy, you know, after a while, they would be like, that was not enjoyable. And they would come and hang out in my basement. <laughs> you offering an alternative to like, the the other scene that was out there that people were trying out that's funny. right right where people were just like you just watch matt you know and john chug a beer and then you're like is, is this it like is this all we're doing for like the next three hours i'm gonna go play tech mobile with jeff in his basement yeah where do you think you got the i mean there's a certain sense of um i don't know like for for you to stand up to that peer pressure and to have a, such a strong sense of self like, where do you think that comes from? Is it, is there something about how your family raised you or like a cultural piece? Like yeah. I mean, my mom's Filipino and my dad is Caribbean, right? So they both were like, you know, immigrants to this country. And then they, it's hilarious. They met in the coldest place, you know, in America, Minnesota. Uh, he was the, he was the attending doctor and she was the attending nurse. So they happened to meet in an operating room. And I think both of them coming from, they were both like, not the oldest in their family, but definitely the uh, people that that paid to get everyone else to the U.S. and and put so many people through school and sent them to England and all these other places. So they had, I think, they had a clear sense of who they or who they are, um, and I think that dramatically helped. But there was this one, you know, and I'll just briefly go into this. There was a moment that happened. I think it was in eighth grade where I, you know, had been wanting to get, be cool for so long. And I wanted to get into this one pool party and I had to beg Antonio Santiago to take me, right? Because you needed someone else to get in because once you got into this party, then you're in, then you're, you're set. Right. And I remember going to the entrance of it and there were a bunch of people that had just walked off. They were like, there was an argument or whatever it is. And this guy, Ron couldn't get in. And then they were going through like, all right, who else is allowed in? And they looked to me and they weren't letting any black people into the party. And I'm half black and half Filipino. And um, they were like, is he black? And Antonio was like, no, he's Latino. So I could get in. So, and they, they, they used a term, they used the N word at one point as they were saying stuff like this, right? So then I was allowed in. And as soon as I walked in, I felt like I left my whole self back outside, right? So now I'm in the party. Now I'm like surrounded by all these people that I wanted to be accepted by, right? And it was the loneliest feeling. Nobody was playing. I, I remember wading into the pool. No one went into the pool, just me. And I was just like, this is the least amount of fun I've ever had. And the least seen I've ever been, even though now I've been accepted. And at that point, I was just like, I'm done. Like, I'm done. Like, like I feel so lonely right now in this accepted population. And yeah. And then from then on, I was just like, I'm going to do whatever I want to do. And if it's by myself, it was by myself. I mean, you had to leave a big part of yourself behind in order yeah. to be in that space of quote unquote acceptance. But you also got to see the true colors of the people running the door, right? Like they, you know, what they might not have felt comfortable saying in front of you otherwise, you suddenly were privy to. 
Yeah. And I think, I think that happens with everybody, right? That happens when you go to a certain college or you get a certain job or you get promoted to a certain job or you're trying to get accepted in some country club or whatever the thing is, or, you know, on TikTok or whatever it is, we compromise a certain part of ourselves and then we lose that part that is us, you know, and I'm all about talking about how play helps you rediscover yourself again, right? You know, and you simply need to play enough in order to figure out what's next because your inner child always is ready to play again and it's just waiting for you to play. So 12, 13 years old, did you have a sense of what you wanted to be when you grew up? Was there a, was there a path? Yeah, I wanted to be a toy designer. I saw the movie Big when I was in third grade and I started writing toy companies in third grade, like 10, 11, 10 years old, maybe even younger. Um, and after I saw the movie, I just kept writing toy companies on my word processor. Um, and I would get rejection letters back because I think they thought I was an adult. Um, but I just kept doing that. And I wrote in all the way through high school. At one point, Cap Toys, which went out of business, told me when to, told me to go into mechanical engineering, which I, didn't, I don't recommend. And then I eventually got in the toy industry and talk about another place where I thought I belonged. As soon as I arrived, you know, there was no toys, no fun, no high fives. It was just no joy. Um, and I was in New York working for a toy company, and it was just bad. Um, so then I left New York, came to the San Francisco Bay Area, bumped into a job on Craigslist, teaching kids engineering with Lego. There were seven nerds, but they were all playing for a living. And I was like, oh, this is awesome. I'm going to try to make this a thing. And we turned it into the largest Lego-inspired STEM organization in the U.S. We went from seven people to 400 people. We picked people, we picked cities we thought were fun. We had no business plan. We just made stuff up as we went along, right? We failed miserably a lot, but we just kept playing. And because we kept playing, we attracted other nerds that wanted to join us. We started partnering with Lego. And that's when I started collaborating with all those companies you mentioned, like Google, Facebook, Adobe, because they would reach out to us and they'd be like, hey, do you, can you do a Take Your Kid to Work Day event? And then they'd be like, hey, do you do team building events? And we're like, of course we do. No, we didn't, but we just make it up. So we just made all this stuff up. That's amazing. Yeah. And then while I was with doing this for all these organizations for like the next decade, right? Like I think I started running team building events with all these tech companies around 2011, 2012. I realized these places were not fun. And these are the best companies in the world. So then I was like, what is going on? So that's why I created Rediscover Your Play because I wanted to tackle the hardest issues through play, like navigating difficult conversations, like dealing with toxicity, dealing with toxic masculinity in the workplace. Like how do you, how do you uh, address your inner critic, right? How do you like, how do you make your staff feel seen, heard and appreciated? So that was the main reason why I started the organization because I was like, if these companies are not fun and they're the best, what's happening in companies in the middle of the, you know, the Midwest, right. Or down South, like let's, let's, Let's cause some mischief. Let's make work suck less, you know? You're all about that good mischief. <laughs> I love uh -huh. it. I'm all about that good trouble. I even have a pen my friend Angie gave me from you know, John Lewis, good trouble. Yeah. The fact that you made this into a career, into a business uh, is amazing. I'm picturing you, like, you, you, did you go through college in order to yeah. get, so you, you, you got your way through college, right? You said you did Tufts, and then you headed off to the toy industry which you thought was gonna be amazing it was nothing like the movies 
Although even in the movies, they weren't having fun. I just want to point no, out. No, they, they were, were though. Not. They were, and you're right. That's, That's kind point. of actually his point. He he missed having fun. He was like right. wanting to go back to being a kid, which is, yeah. So so you're like, okay, wow, it really wasn't fun. And then you, what made you head over to the Bay Area? Like, had that? Well, at one point, oh, this is, you, you'd like this. At one point, talk about causing mischief. At one point, I went and worked for Times Square Toys R Us. So I was a product demonstrator in that Times Square Toys R Us with that gigantic Ferris wheel. And then they laid off a bunch of people, but they kept me. And then I tried to unionize the store, the flagship store. Oh, you are. I didn't realize I was trying to. I just wrote this manifesto like I was Jerry Maguire. I didn't even realize what Jerry Maguire was in time. But I wrote this, this like, like thick packet i don't know that i passed around to everybody and i was like why are you not treating your employees like with respect like we've done all this work for you right you know this was also during like you know 9 11 times like we were there you know um you know when the firefighters came with their kids to like welcome them after like such a tragic event right so we were doing a lot of stuff so i was like why are you treating everyone so poorly um yeah and then that didn't go over well um and then i eventually left and then i was like i need a new start and uh the person that i was with at the time we was she was like, I'm, I'm going to berkeley you want to come and i'm like yeah let's go so we just went no job just just came to the bay area because it was a different vibe it's amazing that you tried all these places that you thought would be fun right mm-hmm. you got to when I mean, you worked in toy industry then you worked in a toy store yeah <laughs> and you yeah. Had to play with toys and kids and still wasn't fun. Maybe it's yeah. you. Maybe it's you, Jeff. No. Maybe. I mean, you never <laughs> no, know. So, so, you, so you have know. a fresh start. Bay Area is a great place for a fresh start. A lot of a lot of people do that. This this happenstance Craigslist ad that changes your life, right? Um, what was your first thought? Did you know pretty quickly that this was it? Like this was such a good experience, or was it really just kind of like organically feeling your way through it day by day? Yeah, it was more of the second or, or, or feeling it through because, because again, it was seven people that had no idea what they were doing, right? They didn't even have pay stubs. Like, they didn't know what they, they like, weren't even following any rules. Like, I remember I, my interview was I walked in and the guy was like, okay, yeah, go start playing with the toys and, and hang out with the kids. Like, like, he didn't even know how to interview. Like, we literally were just making it up as we went along. So it, it was a mess. Um, but there was, I think there was this, um, potential to it, right. That I could be like, wait a minute, I could teach through toys. I could inspire through toys. I could play for a living. Um, and mind you, I, I started doing that in like 2004 at what, you know, so like it was a while ago. And I remember when I eventually, when we, because at first I was making like $150 a week, $200 a week. It was like a joke, right? But then when we started going to other cities, and even when we were talking to our boss, we'd be like, how do you expand to other cities? He's like, I don't know. I've never done it. You figure it out. So I would just like, my sister was in LA. Let's go there. Ooh, I like San Diego. Let me go there. Ooh, Austin, Texas. Let me go there. Ooh, who wants to go to Wyoming? Nobody? Okay, we're not going there. Like, this is how we decided, you know, who wants to go to Austin? Like, you know, and, and we would fail all the time. But because we were each time we remind ourselves, remember, we're playing with Lego for a living. Like, this is what we're getting paid to do. And I remember traveling the country and, you know, I'd wear my ridiculous bow tie that reminds me not to take things seriously. 
and I'd be talking to some random engineer in like Detroit while we're like, you know, sitting in the airport and he'd be like, what do you do? Oh, and I was like, oh, I, I, I play with Lego for a living. And they're like, that's a job. And then you can tell they both were enamored and then also angry. And they were more angry because they're like, no one told me that was a job. And I was like, no one told me either. I just made it up. Right. So um, having that experience over and over again just reminded me of like, oh, my gosh, you can make something out of nothing all the time. So you've got seven people with no business plan. And it doesn't sound like a lot of acumen either. Yeah. Um, around how to run a business, just yeah. trying things out, having fun, failing, picking themselves up, whatever. It doesn't matter. No one's looking. How does that go? Like, what's the what's the point where it goes from no pay stubs to 400 people and having like a national presence and getting to partner with, with Lego? Well, the way that happens is like, you know, you hire more people and then some people are like, I need a pay stub. And you're like, oh, this Excel sheet doesn't work. And they're like, no, that's illegal. Okay, we should get that, you know? (laughs) And then we bring somebody else in, you know, we brought in like someone to like help us with admin and HR. And they're like, you can't do half these things. Oh, we didn't know that. Okay, let's do that. Oh, we need insurance. Oh, okay, that's important. You know, so we would, that's, those are the things where people would point out stuff to us, right? Um, or someone would quit and we'd be like, oh, don't hire toxic people like that anymore. Like we, that's how we would kind of learn. Right. And then because, you know, especially because we were teaching so many people in the Bay area, so many kids in the Bay area, it just so happened that tech companies, moms and dads would be like, this is really cool what you're doing. And I think the experimentation process of us always trying new things out. Oh, let's try a Jedi curriculum. Oh, let's try a girl powered engineering curriculum, you know, because there's not enough girls in engineering, right? And it was led by a, a you know, um, and a former engineer. We even had a former NASA engineer for a little bit. And she she came in and showed us different things that they used to do at NASA and talk about failure. And she was like, you know, when we would work on the Mars rover, she said, our whole job was to make it fail on the ground because when you send it a million miles away, you can't fix it anymore. So this is what we should do as part of the curriculum. So we would just, we would listen to everybody's opinion. You know, there's like nobody, nobody was above anyone else, right? Because we're all playing. And I think I speak a lot about this, about how play can dismantle hierarchy, you know, and hierarchies where a lot of societal pain comes from, where someone's like, I'm superior than you. And you're like, why? Like, oh, you have more money than me? Does that make you superior? But when you are really playing, right, where you have let go of the results, where you're fully immersed in the moment, there is no hierarchy, right? And that's when people can actually connect for real. And I think that was the magic of it, of like, y'all just seem like you're having so much fun how can we help more? And then because we kept expanding and we would go to cities and be like, you want us to build your city out of Lego? And we'd run an event with the city and then that would attract more attention. And eventually the Lego was like, you're doing really cool stuff. Hey, come on this Lego tour, Lego Kids Fest tour. And we did that for like five years, like wow. just traveling with Lego in, in like the largest stadiums in the US, you know? And it was just because... We were having fun and, and, and always experimenting, always failing, always experimenting, always, you know, iterating. Just give me the time frame. You said you started this around 2000 and... I joined in 2004. I think they started in 1997, right? Probably by 2000, 
2009 or 2008, I left and, you know, worked on, you know, a, a couple campaigns, you know, national campaigns, um, and then came back. And then around 2010, 2011 is when we got the attention of Lego, you know, and then we did tours with Lego till 2016. And then also during that time, that's when we started working with a lot of tech companies. Um, yeah. And then was, and then basically was doing that from like 2011, all the way to like the pandemic 2020. And at what point did you decide you wanted to build something that was separate? I started experimenting in 2019. I ran a workshop with my friend Gary Ware called Dealing with A-Holes in the Workplace um, through play. Um, and it got accepted to South by Southwest and Inbound and this place in Australia. And then we spoke at Inbound in Boston, and then we went to Australia, and then we were about to do South by Southwest, and then the pandemic hit. Wow. Uh, <laughs> I can, you and Gary, knowing Gary, are quite the dynamic duo, actually, uh, and are very aligned in, in the kind of work that you do, positive psychology and play. So how did you shift? I hate the word pivot, so I'm trying to avoid it here. Yeah. But how did you shift your expectations since... Yeah, this obviously it was well received. You, you did it at Inbound, which is a great conference to attract yeah. a ton of marketers. Uh, and then you do it, fly all the way to Australia and do it. How do you decide to like apply this going forward into a business plan? Just playing, man. We were like, I still was just making it up. I remember I was so scared. Uh, so the pandemic hits, right? None of us can do anything. Right. And I was like, okay, what am I most scared of? I think of Elizabeth Gilbert's quote, you know, personal transformation doesn't happen until you get tired of your own BS. Right. So I was like, what's my BS? Oh, well, my BS is like, I'm scared to make videos. Like, you know, I sound weird. I look weird or like whatever. Um, and what I did was I avoided it for a whole month. I just binge watched Netflix, did Tiger King, all the things that everyone else did. I didn't bake bread. I don't know why everyone was making bread. And then eventually I made my first TikTok video. And I was like, oh man, that was super fun. And then I made another TikTok video. I ended up making 400 videos that year just for myself, just like as a way to process the pandemic, but also process what it was like to work during that pandemic. So I just made all these videos. And while I was doing it, it gave me the bravery to be like, hey, maybe I should be on some podcasts. So then I just started applying to podcasts and I applied to like 300. I was on 150 the first year because there was nothing else to do right so i was just jumping on podcasts trying to and then i did another 100 in 2021 but it was just like it was just me experimenting with this and then while i was doing this then i while i was doing these podcasts i realized i had um bits i had speaking bits in my head that i didn't realize i had and I was like, ooh, that's a really good bit. Ooh, I want to try. Let me write that down. And then I was like, wait a minute. I have speaking bits. I could do a talk. So then I started applying to all these virtual talks and, and starting to run workshops virtually because, again, it was just like all about play. And I was like, the name of the organization is Rediscover Your Play. So if I'm not practicing it, then how could I preach it, right? Um, and then through all those podcasts, through all those um, videos, and through all those virtual talks that I did, I was like, I have something here. <laughs> I don't realize I have something, but there's something here and this is super fun, right? And then who would know that like by 2022, I think I did 55 talks last year and you know, I'm projected to do probably more this year. And I was like, I don't know how this happened. Like I didn't, I didn't plan it. I didn't have like a structured business plan. I just was kind of like, 
Who are cool people that I want to hang out with? And how do I get paid to play for a living? All right. I'm going to try to pull out for the audience some of the things you did do that they might be able to do. One is you didn't stay in that um, Tiger King, you know, under the covers space for too long. Um, so everyone felt stuck, but the, yep. some people I think were waiting for six months for the world to go back to what it was before. And, uh, and so they were at a, they were much, they were starting much further behind than people who started experimenting pretty quickly. Um, my first virtual happy hour was March 13th, 2020. So, wow. um, and I, like you wasn't doing it cause I had a business plan, right? Like, but eight months later I had a thriving six figure business based yeah. on all new revenue streams and it just, you know. You just, it was actually the most freeing time because uh -huh. nobody was paying attention to what anyone else was doing because we were all just trying to keep ourselves together yep. and um, and figure it out. So a lot of experimentation and play happening in that time period in a way that was, I want to hold on to that space, that feeling of who cares, let's just try it. And I think you already came into that with that. Like you already had a muscle memory around doing this. So you you got unstuck pretty quick. And then I there's a few things you did. One you decided to just get over your own fear about being on video, right? And a lot of people are like, well, how do you do that? Well, you're just doing it. Like, I always say, don't judge me for my first three attempts at something. Judge me on my last three attempts. Mm -hmm. I'm sure your first three TikToks are nowhere near oh. as good as your last three. You yes. know? And so you just did that. And then that gave you the, the confidence to go pitch yourself and the diligence too, by the way, of you pitching yourself on 300 shows. And then, yeah, I think those are reps. People don't recognize that as a speaking gig, but being on podcasts, talking about your ideas is a stage. And yep. if you feel like you've got a story to tell, but you've no one to tell it to, but if you get on 150 podcasts in a year, you just did a lot of reps from yeah. your home. Yeah. And for you to do that again the following year, and like you said, you start to realize there's these bits. You know, I'm actually, I'm having a funny moment right now, Jeff, where I, right after we interviewed the, this interview, I'm going to do an eight minute talk on the topic I was known for before the pandemic, wow. networking at conferences, in-person conference networking, which at the time we did not call in-person, we just called them conferences. Right. <laughs> and so I found my, I had a, I had a slide deck for 10 minute presentation Fortunately, my past self was very good to me and I have all my notes built in because at the time I had everything memorized, but fortunately I had it all spelled out. I don't even know why, probably because I was trying to keep tight to 10 minutes. Right. So I had to like, okay, what two slides am I taking out? Cause they're about a minute a piece and I'm going through and at first I felt so stiff. And the second read through, I realized I don't have to read these slides anymore. I'm going to practice it like two more times. And there's these bits. There are these little bits, these little speech pieces it's that I've just got in my head. They're like yep. dormant, yep. They're like way back there. Yep. Like you said, you can just wake that part of you up and now you're ready to be on stages. What I'm curious about, because that's how you got to the point where you felt confident you had a talk. How yeah. did you get paid to talk about this? Who was your market when you first said, okay, I've, got, I've now got the confidence, I've got the speaking bits, I have value to offer. You know, did you go back to some of the people you'd work with when you were doing all the Lego stuff or like, how did you sort of leverage your network to work your way into actually having this as a paid career? I mean, I wish I had leveraged my network better, right? Because I think I reached out to some people, but mostly I applied to call for speakers. You know, I remember doing something called like HR of tomorrow and it was like located in France. So I had to do the talk at 3 a.m., 
right? And it was for free, right? But that got me a gig with like a major Fortune 500 company because somebody randomly was watching it in Germany and they were like, I really liked what you did. And I was like, who are you? How did you even find? So the more of these like call for speakers that I did, and I even wrote an article about this because a lot of people are like, they never tell you where to speak. And it's just like, dude, you, I just would, I would literally type in LinkedIn, hashtag call for speakers. And I just applied everything, like anything that was relevant to me. Um, because it was all virtual anyway. Right. And then eventually when it was in person, then I would like apply to a bunch of things. And then I would decide like, you know, do I really want to go to Detroit? Do I want to go to Atlantic city and do this thing? And I was just like, fine. You know, last year, I think I was like maybe $15,000 like in debt at one point, simply because I was traveling to all these places to speak for free, just to get in front of people. And then this year, I probably made more money in this first quarter than I made all of last year, right? But that was because I, I put in, again, put in the reps, right? I don't recommend anyone else do it the way I did it, right? Like, be more strategic about how you, how you travel and stuff like that so that you don't spend so much money like I did. But it really is about reps. And I, and I was having this conversation with someone recently, like, you don't want the shortcut. You don't want the shortcut. You don't want to go viral. Um, my my friend, uh, Destiny Muhammad, who is this phenomenal black harpist, she's known as the harpist from the hood, said this to me, and I loved what she said. She was just like, the longest road around is the shortest way home. And I was like, what do you mean the longest road around is the shortest way home? And it was this idea of like, take the long route because that's how you figure out who you are and what you want to say. Like, what is your voice? What it, what are you do here to do? Because if you if you if you try to do the quick route, you might make more money at the beginning, but you will have no idea who you are. You 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 will. You, let's say you have a video that goes viral, right? Then you have to be that video all the time to everybody. That's the only thing you get. So we need to stop rushing, and we need to spend more time just getting reps and figuring out like what do you want to say. Like especially if this is speakers listening to this, it's just like. Honestly, if you only had one message you're going to say to the world, what are you going to say? Right? Regardless of whether you become popular or not, just like what do you want to say? time to figure that out. What is that one message? You're not going right. to find that out in your first video. Like yeah. if the very first thing I ever put out in the world went viral. I I I mean that message is from 15 years ago. Like do right. you know what I mean like that would be the thing I'd be stuck talking about. Right. And, and it again evolves, right? Like, what do you want to say now is going to change within a year or two years. Like if you had told me that I'd be talking about, I have a talk now called why Ted Lasso's feminine and masculine leadership matters, right? Like if you had told me I would have had that talk three years ago, you'd be like, what are you talking about? I talk now about how play can dismantle hierarchy. At the beginning, I was just simply being like, we need to play more at work. It's evolved over time, right? I'm so glad you brought up Ted Lasso. I just got interrupted to tell you that I said, and I said that we were going to talk about this. I love your podcast. Yeah, interrupting go. to tell you that I don't listen as regularly to podcasts because I don't commute, right? But I have made it a habit. I started at the very beginning, and I had watched the first two seasons before listening. And I know the next season just came out, and I'm actually I'm going to stick with Apple TV just so I can rewatch Most, them and exactly. listen to your show at the same time. It's that good. So tell everyone what the name of your podcast is. So it's called What Would Ted Lasso Do? I do it with my friend Dimple Dabalia, who's this amazing speaker and positive psychology practitioner. 
and we break down Ted Lasso through the lens of positive psychology and leadership development. But really, we keep asking ourselves after every episode, what would Ted Lasso do? She is wicked smart, by the way. Yeah, and she, she, so I, I haven't watched, I mean, I only watched the episode right beforehand. So like, I don't know what's about to happen. And she has done so much research and is in all the Ted Lasso, you know, groups and everything like that. So she provides like basically the, the, the the context and the info. And then I'm just playing around and being like, yippee. So it's a really interesting balance. Such a good balance. And I also, I think that uh, for folks who are thinking about doing a co-hosted show, I'm going to do a plug here for them to listen to your show for that reason, because I think a lot of co-hosted shows don't have that balance. And I feel like it's, it doesn't seem like it always works. Um, they stumble across like, who's going to go and how we're going to talk about this. And like, what was the point of the thread again? Like, you yeah. know, like yeah. I, I haven't felt that with you. Um, okay. So we just sidebarred that. Listen, since we've already interrupted ourselves talking about your journey, I want to bring us to this last part, which is about your network, which you just sort of mentioned. You wish you had leveraged it more. You were diligent yeah. about doing call for proposals and that hashtag call for proposals on LinkedIn I hope you all heard that. <laughs> That's a thing. Mm-hmm. And really. and Google and Google, great. And Twitter, you Just know, any put of them, them out there. So when you think about your network, you've got your inner circle of people, right? That you know you're going to stay in touch with. Then you have those second and third tiers or layers out. Those are people you might see once you're at a conference. These are people that you maybe worked with five years ago, but you haven't had a reason to since. And you like each other. I should have prefaced that. You enjoy each other's company. How do you think about nurturing and sustaining those sort of weaker ties or any habits, philosophies, practices? I help. I'm all about just helping. Like, you know, so if I know a speaker, you know, I was just talking to a friend of mine and, you know, who was scared last year to make videos and now she's phenomenal at making them. She's a self-defense. She's one of the few uh, female self-defense video makers that I know, Leslie Liu. She's amazing. Um, and now speaking all over the place, but you know, with a lot of people like that, I'm like, what do you need? Right. And then let's figure it out. So then I'll be like, okay, oh, you need more speaking gigs. I made a whole like database of all the speaking gigs that, that I've done and here, you know, or like, what are you charging right now? Oh, you don't know what you're charging. Here's what I've charged, you know, and I'll give a list to a bunch of, of my friends, like whatever people need help with, that's what I want to do. And, and, and I try to not do it. My uh, a play mentor of mine, Kevin Carroll, would always say, "Like, do you want transformational conversations or transactional ones?" And I try to avoid the transactional one of like, "Yeah, let me get this thing, and then you get this thing," and more like, "Let me just help you. If you can help me, great. But really, I'm just here for help." So, um, whenever I reach out to people, I'm like, "What's up? What are you doing? You know, what can I help you with?" And that's kind of how I've been doing it. And I don't know if it's working or not, but like. I, I, my soul feels good. And it seems that your numbers are showing that it's working. Yeah, I guess that also helps as well. But I, I mean, I think when we, I, this is part of the play part, right? Play is all about letting go of results. You know, you know, plays the opposite of perfection. Perfection is rooted in ego, shame, and constantly trying to be right. Like if I tried to do this podcast as perfection, then it would have been really stilted. I would have been like, what else do I need to check off this? I don't even know what I said during this podcast. You're okay. Like I forgot it already. Like once I'm present, it's done, but that's how I show up. Right. You know, so I'm trying to be the opposite of perfection and just play with stuff and be fully present. And I feel like when you're fully present, when you're fully engaged with that person, 
that's when they feel seen and heard and valued. And that's when you actually have real connection. And then you, and then you get more abundance that way. Right. I just did a South by Southwest with my friend, Sarah Serrani. We talked about embracing your fears from a place of we, not me. How do you carry fears as a community? Right. Because when my dad passed away, his brother showed up for the first time in like 20 years. They hadn't seen each other in 20 years. And and in a place where I should have been devastated and sad, all these people were holding their grief up with me, right? Like, it was amazing to have, like, this community of people that that helped me through this process. And there was this beautiful sadness that, that existed, that it was both sad, but just, but also joyful. And I think a lot of times we think we need to address our fears or address stuff all by ourselves when there's people that always have our back. You know, and that's what I'm tra- constantly trying to communicate. You know, we had 70 people in the room. We like there were people outside. We couldn't get more people in at the South by Southwest thing. And the reason why I think so many people showed up, not only do they want to address their fear, but we had also connected with so many people and played with so many people throughout the conference that they were like, we would just want to hang out with you. We don't even know what you're doing, but we just want to hang out. And that's kind of the vibe, right? When you're just you, people want to be with you. That's awesome. There's so many good things you just said in there. And it explains also why you and I like immediately were on the same wavelength through an email. I want to just be really clear. Like you did not do a video to me. You did not do a voice note to me. <laughs> you you use old fashioned email and you were just so thoughtful in your approach um, that like to me, it's 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 who you are and it shows up in everything you do. Um, we're very similar. I'm very abundant minded. Uh, giving away knowledge to me is like, it's, it's like, a, it's a big piece of how I am fed. I feel really good. Like it doesn't feel like it depletes me. It actually helps me knowing others are being lifted up. And I've just literally wrote a book, break out of boredom, low tech solutions for highly engaging zoom events. That is yes. all my IP on the topic. It's everything I know. So it's like, I'm like, take it. Let's all do better. That's going to lead to more opportunities for me. Somebody will read it and want to hire me. Everybody else is going to get something good out of it. Let's all do it. Like, I just think that a lot of people who are starting out are nervous and fearful and holding back and scarcity minded. And they could all take a page from how you're playing your way through life. Um, I want to know a year from now when I remind you that we just had this conversation mm-hmm. and I say, oh my gosh, Jeff, it's been a year since yeah. I met you. What are we going to be celebrating a year from now for you? What are we going to be toasting? Ooh, well, I will have done this really awesome TEDx talk. That's going to be something I'm going to be celebrating. Also, I'm trying to write a book, but it's going to be a children's book for middle managers. So I'm hopefully going to be celebrating that. Um, uh, yeah, and, and I, I mean, my main goal is, is because I want to heal the world through play, right? So... Um, I want to be speaking at Davos. So, you know, within the next five years, I want to speak at Davos about how play can heal the world. So I will be on that trajectory. Maybe I'll have spoken at like Work Human or again at South By or oh, at Aspen Ideas Festival. Yeah, all those things. Ooh, so delectable. I will say two things. Yes. One is you are one of my favorite Zoom facilitators by far, by far. Like your ability to create a safe space. It's like you and my friend Jan Keck are the only people that I'm like, you know how to do this on Zoom. Like, you just are. And then second, and I think this might help listeners, what was it about my email that actually connected with you? Because I think a lot of people, 
maybe they want to be on a podcast, but they don't know how, and they don't know how to reach out to somebody. Well, all right, I'll break it down. You opened with where you knew me from. You said that you had seen me at an event and I had done a really nice job, but then you went more specifically, you described something I did. So you, it was, I think, a thank you versus a, here's something you did and here's how it's impacted me. Mm. You did the latter. Like you didn't just say you were great. Like so yeah. many people are like, I listen to your show, it's so great. Yeah. Or they say, I listened to that and they mentioned the last person I interviewed that got, that aired. Yeah. <laughs> you know, exactly. like, yeah. It's so clearly like a cut and paste. Yeah. Um, so you were very thoughtful in that. So thoughtful that I said, wow, those few sentences you said about my my skill at Zoom, I'm about to release a book. I would love to include it as a testimonial. That's how heartfelt it I was receiving it. And you said, oh, I went through and I saw a couple people I know that you interviewed. And then you said something about their episode and said, here's something I really loved about how you two talked about blank. So again, the specificity was there. So I thought, wow, you know, this guy understands the format of my show. Again, my show is different than a lot of shows. Everyone probably thinks that about their show, but my show is different. And so I'm like, the pitches that are not clear, like that they get that. I'm always like, yeah, but what's your story? I know that you can teach me about that widget thing, but like, mm -hmm. that's not what my show is about. So that you did not make it hard for me to understand that you understood the value of the show. And then you said a little bit about your story. And I was like, oh, this person has a story to tell. That would be really kind of cool. And it turned out the people you mentioned that we have in common are people I actually know well. Like it also helped that you weren't just like random. You're like, I noticed, you know, this random dude on LinkedIn, you know, like, you know, like <laughs> you mentioned people that I knew personally and talked to regularly. And so right away I was like, oh, he's one removed from awesome people, like, how do we not already, like, I was like, how do we not already know each other? Mm -hmm. And then at the bottom of all that, you were like, hey, and I'd love to be on your show. <laughs> like, I was already falling for you. I was like, oh, it's Jeff guy. I totally want to have this Jeff guy. Who's this Jeff guy? And then you're like, I want to be on your show. And I'm like, well, that just makes sense. Like, you led me in this, like, a few paragraphs you know what I'm saying? To like a, the most obvious conclusion. And then I got this weak, 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 weak <laughs> attempt at a pitch the same day on LinkedIn where I had to read it three times to try to understand was she inviting me or was she asking me on my show? Like the, like the format of the sentence was so poor. And we didn't know each other at all. And there was no context about anything. And I was just like, oh, like, so not that most are that bad. Most are somewhere in between. But honestly, I get pitched by a lot of PR companies mm -hmm. about their authors that they're pitching. And they're authors who have less than 20 Amazon reviews. And we all know that I'm a big fan of getting that, that social proof yeah. on the yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. So I'm like, wow, they didn't even get 20 reviews. And they're paying thousands of dollars for someone to pitch to me. But that person pitching did not bother listening to my show. Mm. And even though I've told this company before what my show is about, they're sending me a template even though we've interacted and I, they should have a better understanding of what my show, like there's a, there's a way to slip past my defenses. Yeah. But most people don't make any effort. And so I think there was a playful tone. You weren't, you weren't like overly pitching. I don't know. I, it worked. Um, I have a few people in my life that my life has changed because I let them into my life. Like Ooh. I, I met them and they, you know, they did that sort of cold pitch thing. And like, yeah. we became great friends and I'm always so fascinated by those people because I don't do a ton. I don't do a lot of outbound. I don't, I do very, I can't think of the last thing I did that was like 
completely cold outbound. Like I reach out to my existing network hardcore, but I don't like pitch to random people on LinkedIn yeah. to make requests. So I'm always amazed when that works because <laughs> I'm like, I don't do it because it's mostly really done poorly. Like I just don't, yeah. wanna, I don't want to be lumped in with those people. But if more people took the time, my, my wife's doing a job hunt right now and she, you know, has doing this careful job search where she's connecting with people in these companies and meeting with them before. I mean, if time her resume is entered, there are like three people who are rooting for her. Wow. Like, that's the effort. Like, yeah, and so she's not sending out as many as other people who got laid off at the same time as her, but it doesn't matter because that quantity is not going to get her the job. Yeah. There's no reason for her to get 300 plus like no's. Like she just needs to send 30 carefully crafted messages, building the relationships along the way. Like that's the effort. I think most people just, you know. Well, I think it's because they're, they're scared to be vulnerable. Right. Right. Cause it is right. Cause if you just spray and pray, you don't take any offense when no one says yes. Exactly. Or when most people say no. Right. So I agree. I, I, you're right. Thank you for naming that. Cause I do think if you make an effort and it fails, people have a feeling about that that makes them want to not try again. But you know, we, we work really hard. She and I about rewiring our brains that that's not what it is. It's and at every, every interview she gets, even if it's not the perfect job, it's going to give her new opportunities in that industry, right? New people are going to meet her. Yeah. So it, I think that this can be applied, whether you're building a business, whether you're trying to get a job, you know, yep. whether you're looking for clients, whether you're like, whatever you're looking for friends in a new city, like there's so many cool ways to like, approach this. You're awesome. How can people find you and follow your work? You're about to turn that. I realized that Jeff's like, I'm going to start interviewing you, Robbie. Just wait a minute. I mean, uh, we're turning it into a Robbie show. Before I say that part, I will say, and this is this is something that um, I just really appreciate because Robbie runs what is it called? The NSA like meetup or so Mike, Mike? National Speakers Association uh, has something called Mike Swap once a month on the second Tuesday of the month, and it's for members. Uh, anyone who's a paid member of the National Speakers Association is welcome to attend. And I run this like tight hour of in and out of breakout rooms, networking, teaching. And so, so I joined, you know, especially during the pandemic, I joined so many of these, right. And so many of these are run so poorly. So what I just really appreciated about what you were able to do was not only are you able to create a safe space, but the questions that I loved you posing when we went into the breakout rooms, we were able to like actually go deep and connect with people in a real way rather than like, what do you do for a living? And what, this is, what's your pitch, you know? Um, and that, I don't know, that has actually helped me actually be a better facilitator via Zoom because then I'm thinking all the time, what is the best question I can ask? I'm literally just doing this in like 30 minutes to a first time homer, a first time attendees for some new conference. Um, what is the question that I can ask people where then they also feel seen and heard? So I just want to thank you for inspiring me to to do that and go deeper. This is why this is why I'm so happy we met, Robbie. <laughs> so yes. So if people want to find me, if you want to see my ridiculous videos, um, uh, my handle is at Jeff Harry Plays, J-E-F-F-H-A-R-R-Y-P-L-A-Y-S. And I'm on TikTok, Instagram, LinkedIn, YouTube, Twitter, Medium, all on that handle. And then if you want to cause mischief in the workplace with me, uh, simply go to rediscoveryourplay.com and click on the Let's Play button. And let's nerd out. And let's figure out how we can make work suck less. 
because it really doesn't have to suck anymore. And we can infuse more play and positive psychology in so people can do their most vibrant work. Amazing. I'm going to put all those links in the show notes at onthechamuse.com. Jeff, thank you so much for this amazing conversation. Absolutely. All right. Take care. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Jeff. What is your key takeaway? Something you'll put into action this week that you'll benefit from for years to come. Share what resonated with you in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Look for episode 330. That's also where you'll find all the links and resources from today's show, as well as all the archived episodes. Reach out and let me know which were your favorite interviews. If you enjoyed this episode, please share with that one friend you know would love to hear it. Subscribe or follow for free so you don't miss next week's show. Are you a fan? That's awesome. I'd love to read your review. Thank you in advance. Look forward to connecting again next week with interviewing another talent professional who has overcome challenges on their way to becoming successful. I'll ask them probing questions to get them to share untold stories about that entrepreneurial journey and how they built and sustained their professional network. Until then, have an amazing week. Thanks for listening to On the Schmooze podcast at www.ontheschmooze.com. That's On the Schmooze, S-C-H-M-O-O-Z-E. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.